This is Carson Block of Zeros TV and Muddy Waters Capital, joined today for a very special edition of Zero Fucks Given by Soren Andal of Blue Orca Capital. Thanks and, for having me, man. Oh, thanks for disagreeing with me. <laughs> uh, Easy. <laughs> well, when you're wrong, you're wrong, right? So we're here to debate the propriety of bailing out the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank, possibly Signature Bank, but... Um, possibly First Republic Bank. Well... That's a, that's actually a, there's a corollary set of questions to to the Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. Um, but look, man, since you got your way here, let me start off. Go for it. All right. <clears throat> what this what the federal government should have done here with Silicon Valley Bank is to let the depositors take haircuts, which probably would have been ten to twenty cents on the dollar when all was said and done. But to backstop the regional banking system after letting the Silicon Valley Bank depositors take their haircuts. Now, the reason for this is at a high level, you and I deal every day with markets that are, are for more than a decade, have been dysfunctional in terms of how market participants view risk. And this is because there's been this continuum of policy bailouts for people who took bad risks en masse. So it starts with the GFC. Then in 2019, when the Fed was began quantitative tightening in 2018, get into 2019, markets are puking a little bit. Everybody got nervous, so they cut rates again. Then you get to COVID, and we'd had all these corporate balance sheets that thanks to stock buybacks, dividends, or PE buyouts, were laden with debt, and once again, the, we, they had to be bailed out because there was too big a risk to the system, and so they were, with all this liquidity pumped into the credit markets to save us, and then that turned into just unfettered, extreme risk-taking in the capital markets, 2020 to 2021. Chickens came home to roost starting late 21, and here we are, in a situation in which there, there was obviously bad, horrific decision-making by the bank. Now, you and others might say the depositors... Well, let me argue. I'll argue my point. So you okay. just do yours. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I'm teeing <laughs> this up. I mean, that's why I said I want to start. Like, what am I supposed to do? Argue your points? Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know you're losing already, okay? So stop, <laughs> stop with the deflections. Um, so you might argue that the depositors did nothing wrong here. Okay, and I think that there's that there's another topic here um, that is that this was a gift, if not a partial bailout to, to venture capital. But for the moment, let's say depositors did nothing wrong, but they did nothing right. Okay, prudent corporate treasury management would mandates that you have multiple counterparties here, so you don't. If one bank fails, you don't end up saying, "Oh my God, I can't make payroll if this isn't, you know, if this is if I'm not made whole here." And they could have gotten seventy cents on the dollar. I mean, that, those are the bids that they were being shown you know, to get more or less instant liquidity at seventy cents on the dollar. Yes, with a haircut, but um, but what it says to everybody who does think about these things in terms of risk management and making sure there are multiple banks and caring about which bank you're you're doing business with. It says that doesn't matter, you know. Like that, you wasted your time and effort doing that. So, 
the problem here really is what is going to flow from this because all of these before bailouts we to, before we get to the what's going to flow from this let's let's talk about like who is actually bailed out and what type of risk taking behavior i think we want to publish like i i understand here that you want to get first prize in your Ayn Rand book club on this <laughs> yeah i've never read any of the Ayn Rand books which is really ironic but, because but all the guys that i'm but, taking the but, other but side all, of the, well the, exactly all the guys right. who read Ayn Rand right, right, right. and who basically like worship her and have you know like I'm, statues I'm, I'm to her sure in their the in their yards was loosely based on my physical appearance uh, but like the um no like let's talk about who was bailed out here and and look whereas i agree with you that People in capitalist societies, and I think we we, we fundamentally like it, to the extent that we want to be a, a capitalist-oriented market, you want to punish risk with loss. That's the whole idea. If you take risk, then sometimes the risk doesn't work out, and the government cannot backstop risk-taking behavior. But let's talk about who is actually being taking the risks here. Um, we're equity holders in a reckless bank that overlent to. Um, to uh, venture capital, were they bailed out? They were not. Were creditors to this reckless bank bailed out? Were the executives who took the primary benefits of this risk-taking behavior, were they uh, well, bailed they out? paid themselves bonuses the day those, before the bank. And we're collapsed. not arguing about that. That I think those should be clawed back. We're talking about here about depositors, and the question here is not whether you know do you bail out people that are just keeping their money on deposit at a bank. You know, whether it's for personal reasons, whether it's for corporate treasury reasons. And I think for those people, you want to have, they want, they need to have faith that the deposits are secure. Now, you want to argue here that, for example, well, if you're like a corporate treasurer, you can't, you know, you have to understand how FDIC insurance limits work. I mean, it's, I, you walk into the branch, there's a sign that says $250,000. You don't need understanding of how they work. That's, you know, but, but the problem but is, most, look, what is it? There's there's half of sorry a third of all deposits in America are at smaller regional banks. Half of those are uninsured. Do you really want to keep? Do you really want to make ordinary Americans? So we're talking about individuals that may not understand the FDIC limits work. We're talking also about like small to medium sized businesses. We're not talking about sophisticated financial actors here. We're talking about your architectural firms, where you're talking about you know a a, a firm that potentially keeps larger balances on a bank account. Do you want them? Do you want to punish them? I don't think you do. And because the but reason that wasn't that wasn't Silicon Valley Bank's market. They were primarily focused on people who have so for the individual depositors, eight figure homes and then the venture funded companies. Now this this is where you're overlooking the key point that one of the key points I made in my intro that you were so dismissive of, which is there would need it, the federal government needed to take measures to preserve the regional banking system. Right. But after Silicon Valley, possibly signature bank depositors took their haircuts because somebody, because the, the, pro, the problem is, <laughs> okay. look, we can, we can, it's, it's very valid to question whether $250,000 is a sufficient amount of deposit insurance. Right. It's valid to question whether the federal government should say that at FDIC regulated and insured institutions, all deposits are insured. These, these are valid policy points, but the problem is we the moral hazard is created when those signs exist in every single FDIC at every teller window saying $250,000. And because some people fucked up, it's like, nope, just spray painted over 
with an infinity sign. Look, part of responding to a crisis is making decisions in the moment. And part of it, part of the rules get, you know, you're, you're, you're not faced with what is the best possible policy option two weeks ago. What they were faced with was Friday night, Silicon Valley Bank had failed. This followed the collapse of Silvergate, which is different because I think it's a crypto firm. You don't you don't do it's deposit. different. It's Silvergate's different. different. We're talking about Silicon Valley. You talk about Signature Bank, which is another quasi kind of crypto. But Friday night, there was massive uninsured deposits that faced haircuts, losses, and the inability to make payroll. So you have a choice at this point if you're the Fed. You can either say we're going to backstop deposits, but if they don't say that Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday night as they did, what would have happened Monday morning? Every American with an insurance, with with an amount in a small regional bank above an FDIC insurance would have run to JP Morgan, would have run to Wells Fargo and tried to wire their money out. What I think they did and what I think they had to do by guaranteeing those deposits wasn't about making some Silicon Valley douche hole. It was about guaranteeing that there wasn't going to be a bank run on regional banking come Monday morning. And I think by and large, they, they were successful in doing that. Well, actually, So this is the corollary point that I wanted to get to. And I do want to come back on specifically Silicon Valley Bank later. But here's the thing. They actually ended up doing the worst of all worlds. And that is they backstopped the depositors at Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, making them whole. But they actually, the federal government has not elucidated whether other banks are protected on their uninsured deposits. So actually, they there have been- They haven't done so explicitly, but however, but well, when Joe Biden gets on TV but, and said your deposits are safe, I think people kind of interpret that as the thing is, a temporary bank the ma- guarantee. The mega banks, the, the systemically important, the SIFIs, yeah. no, they're getting flows now. That's right. They've had tens and tens of billions of dollars of inflows this week. So yeah. we're recording this on Thursday. Those are coming out of smaller banks. That's right. And so there's actually been a fuck up here in the messaging, because if you're if if you're saying that you backstop, you make the depositors of Silicon Valley and Signature Banks whole in order to stop a run on other institutions, I mean, look at the look at you know look at First Republic Bank. I mean, that was I I agree. So 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 sure. it's the worst yeah. of all worlds. They fucked this up because they haven't expressly said right. that it's that all uninsured deposits are now insured. Number one. Number two, if you are a little bit more sophisticated, you look at the amount of the of the program that's supposed to ensure liquidity here. So basically what the federal government has said as far as the as far as the other uninsured deposits go mm. or the un- uninsured deposits at other banks, they've said we've established a facility to lend at par, which I think makes sense. Right. But we've established a facility to lend at par against these securities that are underwater to give the banks the liquidity they were underwater to meet. To, right. Well, they're still underwater. Yeah. The, the assets are still underwater. I mean, they're money good eventually. But the Fed is basically saying, okay, we have this facility. We're going to lend against these securities if you have withdrawals. So basically, as depositors, you need fear not. You don't need to yank your money because the banks are going to have access to liquidity to, to meet your withdrawal request. So no, there will be no run on the bank. But the problem is... So first of all, they haven't messed, the average, the average American doesn't understand it, but the, but the more sophisticated question here is, it's $25 billion is the value of the facility. I, I, I mean- They obviously can get more. I mean, look, I think- the, Well, I don't know. Look, What's, I, I, look I agree with does you. Does the statutory authority exist to get more and materially more? Yes. I'm actually unclear as I, to how much, I mean, does Congress I, need to I, I appropriate think, I think under the a lot more circum- money? I think under the exigent circumstances, carve out the authority 
exists. And if the authority doesn't exist, but where does it gets the money come from? In court, I mean, they're just going to print it, right? The Fed's just going to Fed's just going to provide the liquidity. The Treasury is going to provide the liquidity. But getting back to getting back to the point, I think there are is, questions about the statutory framework here. I don't know the no answer, I don't, I don't know the answers. But, but the twenty five billion but we're not, is but we're not, here not have, a big enough number. That's correct. But we're when you have questions about the statutory authority of the federal government, that's resolved years later in administrative courts, as you know. It's not resolved over the weekend. Um, you know, you can take the action that they did. But I think stepping back a minute here, when we think about the, we agree on one thing. What they should have done Sunday night is say Silicon Valley's backstopped. Um, well, we don't agree on that. But well, sorry, no, we agree on one thing. Yeah. If they say Silicon Valley's backstopped, they should have just made an explicit, temporary. We're just going to explicitly guarantee deposits across the regional and small regional banking system um, until we meet with Congress and basically resolve and, and have a better system for the FDIC limits. But you know, getting back to the core question that we're kind of talking about here about do you ba- do you bail out Silicon it's not even a bailout. Do you guarantee deposits at Silicon Valley Bank? It's a bailout and of the depositors. It's a bailout of the depositors. Um and so I think one of the big questions you have to ask yourself here is you've already crossed that moral Rubicon threshold, right? You've already guaranteed deposits at the larger banks that are essentially systematically too important, systemically too important, that are too big to fail. We've seen $15 billion go into but Bank you also of America. Re- but you also regulate them much more closely that's than true. you do the regionals. Th- that's true. And I think coming out of the crisis going forward, likely the result of this, likely the result of this implicit guarantee of regional small banking deposits will be, sorry guys, there's not gonna be a two-tiered system of regulation it look like Europe so more is, rules, more government employees. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just like as much as we rip on Germans and as much as we rip on Europeans in short selling as lazy and incompetent. Um, <laughs> the, they, they, they have it to they do not have a two tiered banking system. The same regulations apply to every single bank. Um, all so, the way down so, from the local bank to the larger one. So you know and the, I think that that's, the, that's where we're so going. So you know the risk management geniuses in Germany, uh, specifically at Volkswagen, just announced that they're about to invest $200 billion in China over the next five years, as though there is zero question about a war between the West and China over Taiwan. Right. So well, t- today's debate is not wire about- card. Yeah. Today's debate is not about Wire the gang, bank. The, not about the gang, Green the bank. Rates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, man. Okay. We're not talking about Credit Suisse, which is just a complete disaster. But, you know, because here's the thing. We already guarantee the deposits at the systemically important banks. And we already guarantee a lot well, of the money don't. that are on deposit. So do you want to incentivize individuals? And do you want to incentivize small to medium-sized businesses, which are the lifeblood of American commerce? Do you want to incentivize them to every time a deposit amount goes above 250 in an architectural firm's checking account or a, or a restaurant chain's checking account, do you want them to say to themselves, wait a minute, we're, we're over the FDIC limit here. What if there's a regional bank run? I'm going to open 10 different checking accounts. Like you're already insuring this deposit amount in so many different places. I don't think it's that much of an extension so, so look, to do it in a crisis at, I, to, you know, to prevent a run. Like, Occasionally during this discussion, you sounded like you're running for president when you're talking about the moms and pops and the you know architectural firms that suddenly go from two hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars on deposit and need multiple counterparties. But that also points to why Silicon Valley Bank was the exact bank which to let depositors take haircuts. Now, 
what would be a good outcome? Okay, increasing Americans' interest in financial literacy would be a good outcome. Interest in, because we have to try to put this toothpaste back in the tube. If you go back to the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis, the the verbiage that policymakers kept using uh, was that we need to incentivize risk-taking. I mean, at some point, they went far beyond incentivizing prudent risk-taking. Ta- no question. And it's been... So, so here's the thing. They're, and letting Silicon Valley deposit, bank depositors take a haircut would not have fixed the excesses of the past 13, 14 years. But it would have been a step in the right direction. And this was the right place to do it because... Let's look at the particular sins of Silicon Valley Bank and also the wherewithal of these uninsured depositors to withstand the haircuts. So Silicon Valley Bank was basically a closed ecosystem. It turned business away from companies and people who were not in the, quote, innovation economy. Okay, so they were reliant for funding on the highest beta sector of the economy and a lot of their loans went right back into the highest beta sector of the economy, which was technology. They would make loans to individuals and companies in that space that other banks were not willing to lend to. Now, this is not a story of credit quality here, because if you gave them enough runway, maybe credit quality would have been the issue. But let me, okay. let me, let me finish this here. There was also this egregious behavior that really needs a lot more attention where you had these multiple conflicts of interest behind the decisions to bank with Silicon Valley Bank, where you've got the venture firms that fund these companies and have these companies bank with Silicon Valley Bank. The venture firm principals are themselves banking with Silicon Valley Bank, getting really nice mortgages, uh, loans against their venture capital, um, their venture capital fund holdings. Then you have the, the entrepreneurs of these funds also getting banked by Silicon Valley Bank. There was no prudence in this. It was basically everybody's getting kind of bought off. And effectively, Silicon Valley Bank makes a loan to you as a venture company. They say you have to deposit all your free cash with us, solely with us. So you take the loan proceeds, whatever you're not using in your operations, you stick in the bank. They're going to lend back out to the next VC firm that's in principles that are going to stick the money back in the bank. So... There's also this there's also this really incestuous kind of cyclical lending here. But final point, why is this? I mean, who who should have been at the end of the day? Who should have stepped like what would have happened if these if these firms took 30, 20 to 30 cent haircuts? Okay. Venture capital funds, which are behind almost all of the uninsured depositors, keep telling us they have all this dry powder, right? You have all of this cash that you're waiting to deploy. Okay, step up. You say, I backed you, company X. This is not your fault. Okay, you didn't fuck this up. So I haven't lost confidence in you. It sucks a little bit, but I have dry powder. So we're going to shore up your finances you know, by, by, give, by, by lending to you, by investing in equity. This would have been not that painful. It wouldn't have been a great whoa, day whoa, for whoa, them, slow down. but it wouldn't have been slow that down. painful because they have the capital to backstop it. Instead, what we've done is 
We've let all these guys who sit in those eight-figure fucking houses and tell us how smart and brilliant they are and how the U.S. government needs to stay out of their way with laws <laughs> and regulations. We let these fuckers off the hook. They don't have to pony up any more money when it was their reckless, insular behavior that caused this extreme concentration of funding um, you know, among guys who will, will move their money in 30 seconds. D disagree. So first of all, there's no question, but this is not about Silicon Valley Bank's lending practices. Silicon Valley Bank did not have a run on its bank and they did not have a, they did not collapse because of the shitty loans that they made to obnoxious limousine liberals in San Francisco. Because this of the deposits sorry, just, they let, took. Yeah, just give me, let me, let me go. Um, you got so, a couple interruptions though. Too. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so this was about a duration mismatch and this duration mismatch wasn't unique to Silicon Valley Bank. They were the prominent example of it, but there were $617 billion of mark-to-market losses in regional bank portfolios on Monday morning. So I think it's a little bit of a different question and we could have a different debate if Silicon Valley Bank goes bust because of reckless lending, which I agree that they did, and a reckless ecosystem of recycling capital to the most obnoxious, self-righteous, loathsome members of society, which are Silicon Valley tech CEOs. Um, but that's not what happened. What happened was it was a duration mismatch. They were underwater on their held to maturity securities. And their critical assumption, which was that they had a broad and diverse base of depositors, was actually fundamentally they never, flawed. They never thought that they had a broad and no, diverse base did. of depositors. You have like 8,000 depositors, didn't. you probably think. Were, you, but they all have funded by the same five VC firms that right. pull at the same time. And, and, and right, exactly. But, they, if, but, but, if we're, but we're having this debate if, this debate is a little bit different if they collapse over reckless lending. This debate is informed by the fact that it's actually just a problem which was endemic in the regional banking market, which had affected a number of different regional banks, which is why on Monday morning, I think if you had not guaranteed the deposits, you would have had this, this run on small to regional banks because this wasn't about bad loans. This was about a held to maturity problem. This was about a duration mismatch and the risk that depositors would would pull. But you but you go back in. to my comment or my what my you know what my ask was before the bailout or what my proposal right. is is you let the Silicon Valley Bank share um, depositors take their haircuts, then you backstop other regional banks. And again, you if we look but at then, if we, but then how look, but you, this is a little bit like the First Amendment. You never inform the cases where you set First Amendment rights and protections for all Americans are not the cases where the defendants are the people that are the most that, that are the people that are that you feel the best about protecting, right? It's like, it, that's not why. That's, no, no, but I'm sorry. The reason the reason is because the weakest bank failed. Okay, so that so that's Silicon Valley Bank. Now, maybe if you rewound a couple of weeks ago, you wouldn't think that they were the weakest of all banks, but they failed. They were the weakest. So then you let them fail, let them take their haircuts, and then you say, okay, FDIC policy change, uninsured deposits going forward will be, um, there, there's, there's no limit to what the insurance is. And this, this goes back to the principle where we basically just ignored those signs in the lobby and you know, spray painted over them with the infinity sign. Once again, be, you know, that's, that's basically been the course of policymaking really going back to, I mean, arguably to the internet bubble days, but certainly 
to post GFC where if you if enough people make a mistake, they get bailed out. Now, I, I get the equity issues, and I don't say that this is a clear, clear call because there are interests in both cases. But my focus is more on what happens down the line now because what I think we get down the line since effectively the risk management component for banks we see doesn't matter. So why going forward then, why wouldn't banks do the following? These small regional banks, since they're now going to have to compete with deposit for deposits harder anyway, since these seem to be going in part because of the dicked up messaging or lack of clarity on whether the rest of the regionals really are insuring the uninsured deposits. Um, you're going to get, I think, in a few years, small lenders that are making highly risky loans, but they're going to pay more on their on their savings accounts, going to pay higher rates than what treasuries are yielding. So you get a few and basically that's that's going to blow out that's going to blow out the NIMs for these banks, you know, and the net interest income earnings, you know, earnings will be great. They'll, you know, these banks will be bullshitting the the market probably talking about how their their AI allows them to do this. <laughs> no, no, like it'll it'll be like yeah. AI allows us to make these seemingly riskier loans but in a way that's not risky at all. Shareholders, once again, everybody having their their instinct for short-term behavior reinforced will say, yeah, that's great. They'll buy the stock up, management will dump stock, they'll get wealthy, and then eventually the bank will blow up on a credit story as opposed to a, 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 a rate story. But the you know, but the, the problem, one of the other problems or corollary problems to that scenario is if if these banks are basically able to able to pay you more money or pay you a higher rate, backed by the full faith and credit of the US government, but they're paying a higher rate than the US government will pay you, that's disintermediating capital flows from treasury securities, which that creates its own set of distortions right, but and you're problems. talking about future moral hazard, and you're talking about what the world but, looks like in a year and regional bank practices but when, in a year. But when, do, we, we, when, when do we address it? You, when, can, when? you can address it right now. So I think, I think the trade-off for this, and I think the trade-off for the implicit guarantee of regional small banking F, um, deposits above FDIC limits, I think the trade-off is higher regulation. And I think sitting where they are right now, I think regional banks probably, we don't give them a choice. I think this was the trade-off that they made. It's not as if like we're, you know, part of the problem was they were exempted and they had slightly lower standards in terms of their stress testing than the larger, more systemically important banks. Um, but you know, that's gonna change. And But to get it back to your point, which was like, where did this moral hazard start? Where did we, begin this practice of compensating people for reckless decisions that they made that has horror. We're no longer compensating people for prudent risk management. Right, but I That's would argue that depositors, depositors, if you're keeping cash in an account, it's not like these were some yield product that was getting 25%. If you are not compensating any depositors for any risk, what they are doing, in fact, people that are keeping cash in the bank are often doing so, they're the most prudent people. They're the people that are saving the most, that are the most cautious. They're not reckless, recklessly speculating well, on a well, shit Well, actually, line. holding but, treasuries would is the most conservative that's a, that's a way of, that you of can- Of course, but that's a level of sophistication that I think is like- But we is, want to encourage that. Fine, we're not having a conversation today about like why everyone's it's, education sucks. No, um, no look, I mean- You and I, every single day, we see sophisticated financial actors on the other side of our trades that know jack shit about how to read a balance sheet, that have complete misunderstandings about the, the risks embedded in various companies, or are just completely deceived by bald-faced and obvious frauds. 
if sophisticated actors are unable to sort of have prudent risk management in their investment portfolio, you can't ask ordinary people to have a, an assessment of the riskiness of a bank. And I think, but here's the point. The point is, when you're taking risk, there has to be a reward for that, and there also has to be a risk of loss. And I think we all understand that. But I don't think that dynamic is at play when you're parking your money in a bank to make payroll on Monday. So, so a few things here. Um, this is maybe a minor point, but, but I mean, you're, 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 right now, what you just did was you're removing culpability from the people on the other side of our trades, whom you call sophisticated. You say they don't know how to read X, Y, Z. I'm definitely not removing culpability the, for them. The reality is they don't want to read it. They don't, it's not worth their right. time. And what I've been saying, like one of my little taglines the past year or two is that the capital markets stopped remunerating equity managers for caring about risk probably in 2013. So that's when you look at your, you know, value investors who became like punchlines in the bull market by the by the end of it because they were the only people caring about risk because everybody else was responding to the incentives and disincentives. And what has been made clear time and again and was just made clear again over the weekend with the Silicon Valley Bank depo- uninsured depositors is that if enough people don't give a fuck about risk, then nobody should give a fuck about risk because the government will be there to bail you out. Now, I, but I, I but do the think- the people that took the risk in this case did not receive the bailout. The people, the managers, the equity holders of the bank, the people, the, the creditors of the bank, they are, gonna, they are not getting a dime of taxpayer but, money. They so, are not being rewarded so, for their risk. They so are going have, to be punished. So we have accounts at two different banks, two different regionals. Right. And we have that specifically because we didn't want to be dependent on any single regional because of concerns over whether the bank might fail. I mean, I didn't see I didn't see it being but, imminent. But you're, but you're but, in the 1% of 1% of, of financial actors that think so, about risk. You so don't again, want ordinary businesses trying making, having those questions. Why not? I mean, what, 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 what is the problem? What is the problem with, again, what is the problem with taking a segment of the business world that can definitely afford the haircuts? You know, I mean, maybe not every company, but look, the VCs wouldn't step up and fund the companies that they know are complete dog shit right now, which, you know, should the federal government be funding those guys if the VCs aren't going to fund them right, right, right now? Right. Okay. So, so you're taking, a, so we could have taken the segment of, the, of the business of the economy that can actually really afford this and held that out as a lesson like, look, people need to be financially more sophisticated and care about risk. Okay, but going forward, the regional banking, you know, all, all deposits will be insured up to their full, their full amounts. We could have done that and sent the message that, yeah, you know what, extreme risk taking, you, you got you 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 got it, it has a has little, a cost. It's a little but, unfair for you. But to, let me. Okay, but ahead. I want to. But I want to address actually one of the the uh, say the bigger point that you made just a moment ago, which is well now we'll have regulation. Yeah. Okay. This was not a you know the that I think is a cop out argument, um, because so, so first of all the problem what this shows okay I mean at a really high level what happened here is this shows that. The Fed, the the Open Market Committee and the Boards of Governors, they don't understand the risks, not even in the economy far afield of where they sit. They don't even understand the risks that exist now because of all of the debt 
that they've created. They don't understand the risks that are under their purview. Like that's the crazy, scary shit. So when people ask me, you know, or have asked me like, well, what does this mean? Silicon Valley Bank's failure. Are we going to have a, a financial crisis? You know, I'm like, look, this doesn't portend a wave of bank failures. But what this does tell you is we have so we have layered so much debt in so many parts of the economy that it's so fragile that the fucking people who put it there don't even understand the fragility and the risks that are right under their nose. And that is also why it's important to dial back the risk taking and send the message. Right, but like, come on. The first of all, your so position, regulation isn't going to fix this. Your position, the regulators though, is will always fight. Contradictory, the, the, because what you're saying is that hey, we need to have people suffer the consequences of their actions, but they only. But we are going to we are going to ignore all the moral hazard with respect to every other small to regional bank to you prevent have, a bank. You have to let some people take losses to, to at least say, to at least say right. that in a game of musical chairs, when the music stops, somebody will be without a chair. But you that don't is not the attitude. look like as a society, you end bank runs tomorrow if you say, look, uninsured deposits are guaranteed at small to regional banks till we fix the FDIC system. And look, the FDIC system Which was, they a, didn't was say an that. antiquated which which we both agree they should have, is an antiquated, they haven't raised the limit in about, what, 15 years? And it's also, it, you know, there's bank runs in a digital age. And I think that that's what we're confronting, which is so new about SVB. And I think that's why you had to be over the top with the bazooka to guarantee deposits, even at the loathsome limousine liberal bank that that is Silicon Valley. And the reason is, is that how many months were between Bear and Lehman? You know, Bear is... Bear is in April. Well, the hedge they, fund, the hedge funds were in two thousand seven, well, and then right. And then, so Bear, then Bear is, is I Bear think is, March of 08. Bear is March of 08. and then Lehman, Lehman was is early October, early, late September, early fall, late September. I remember because I my first day on Wall Street, um, and we are confronted with a you know, is there six months between Bear and Lehman in the age of Twitter? I don't think so. I think things move really quickly, and I think that. You know, a bank run can happen so quickly now because of the, and we saw this with Silicon Valley, we see this with First Republic, people log into their phones and immediately just sort of wire and withdraw their money. The FDIC tools, the the tools to prevent a bank run at small to regional banks were designed for an era that simply doesn't exist anymore. And so what they were confronted with, they were confronted with an old set of rules. How do we stop this from mushrooming throughout the small to regional bank economy? fine, we guarantee deposit. Now, you and I agree what they should have done was just say, hey, until we figure this duration mismatch out, don't worry, your deposits are guaranteed till we fix this thing. But I think this larger question and this interesting debate that we're having is about when did we cross the line of bailing people out for their risky decisions? And what is the role of moral hazard when we're incentivizing conduct going forward? And I think both you and I agree that what's so worrisome and odious about this is you seem to protect the people that are taking the most reckless risk. I think both you and I agree that that is the exact outcome that we do not want to do. Um, I think we disagree on whether bailing out depositors is really reinforcing this. But I think you have to look at the financial crisis as, as the best informer. And look, these regulators, for the most part, they cut their teeth, right? They're looking at 07, 08 as the North Star for how to handle this. And if they could go back and run it, what happened with Bear? 
So they arranged essentially a bailout for Bear, Bear's shareholders and employees certainly didn't. I mean, it wasn't really bailout. It, it was really bought a bailout. for $2 a share. I think later they but, upped it to but 10. Only, right, $2 right. a share, upped it to 10, but that deal only gets done if they agree to ring fence some of the toxic assets. So, well, but actually JPM got hung with a bunch of And JPM of got hung with it. And we can too. argue about like, why that disincentivized banks oh, this time around yes. from eating a shit absolutely. sandwich because they said, well, the last time you fucked us with a bunch oh, of yeah. shit. I mean, yeah. you know, Sorry. Bank of America, you know, got fucked on, on Wamu and For sure. have you ever seen the show? Have you ever been on the show? It's called Zero Fucks Given. So I assume we're allowed to say fuck, right? Well, all right. It's no fooling you, Einstein. Yeah, exactly. It's Steinberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what's the... Like when you look at the financial crisis, we 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 kind of arrange the bailout for Bear. We can argue about whether that's a t- technical bailout. Probably yes. But then these same regulators read the newspapers for the next six months about what piece of shit they are and about how they bailed out a bunch of greedy Wall Street. Mm, I and, don't know. They've already gone to work for your well, former law firm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all the guys um, we pay. Right. Exactly. So so what happens between Bear and Lehman? They make this moral hazard stand with Lehman. They, they, they've they read six months of paper of newspaper articles and opinion pieces in the journal accusing them. Or maybe of, AIG was worse. In that regard. AIG was so much worse. But at that point, they probably thought they had no choice. Or Goldman getting made whole on, on their fucking what, CDS. What a disgrace that is, yeah. right? But like they're sitting there with Lehman and they're like, now we're going to draw on the line in the sand. Now we are going to teach financial education to everyone in the market that if you run your bank improperly, we are going to let it fail and there have to be consequences for your dumb decisions. And looking back, it was a disastrous call that they probably never, ever should have made. Lehman was too systemically important. The disorderly collapse of it really did threaten overnight the health Mm -hmm. of the financial system and precipitated what was the largest financial crisis basically since the Great Depression. And now the problem is they just didn't come off the gas. Ever. Like, I agree. I agree with, you know, right. That's right. And so, like, you know, you in the middle of the crisis, when you have the bailout, it's really easy to pontificate about, you know, guys, check out my Ayn Rand tattoo on my tiny bicep. And and and, you know, what I care about is on my dick. Right. I thought that was welcome aboard. (laughs) 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 So so it's easy to pontificate on moral hazard. But. But, you know, in the moment, like you, the lesson from Lehman was that you you backstop it, you reduce the risk, you prevent the run, you snip the crisis in the bud for the cheapest that you can possibly make. And then regulation policy is formed afterwards once the heat of the crisis is over. And I think that that's what they did. Now, I wish they had gone a little further. I wish they had said, guys, if you have a deposit at a regional bank anywhere, it's fine. It's safe. We're going to fix the FDIC system. But this was a question about whether just cash sitting in deposits should have been backstopped to prevent a massive bank run. So, so look, I, I think that one of the intellectual pillars of, of your argument that it was right to bail out the uninsured depositors at Silicon Valley Bank is the notion that regulators, you know, regulation and regulators can address this in the future. And I, I disagree because they're always, you know, so again, I made that argument a few minutes ago about how the the board of governor the Fed, federal reserve board of governors and fomc members can't even see the risks right underneath their nose based on all the leverage that's in the system but they're always going to fight the last war so this was you know, this was not about credit quality because there are all these regulations w- with respect to credit quality this is about 
something that nobody seemingly thought about, which was asset liability duration matching right. or lack thereof. And which even, was hiding in plain even, sight, by the way. Right, which, yeah. and even the SIFIs have the same problem. It's just we know that nobody's going to let them go under. So, yeah, you can promulgate a whole bunch of regulations on the back end of this. You can hire more people, but the you know the there are two problems here that make this toxic. It's the leverage, and even though you know the Fed is maybe going to continue some QT, there's so much leverage in the system that's created all this risk we don't understand, and all these, and then when you combine that with warping of the incentives and disincentives around risk management, which again I think that once again you know this certainly there was an opportunity to push back a little bit here. Did it push things? further in the wrong direction. I think that's fundamentally what you and I disagree on. I think that backstopping, that bailing out the depositors of Silicon Valley Bank does once again push things into the bad risk-taking direction. Maybe you say, no, it doesn't, it's neutral or you know, or if you think or that the regulation- incremental in terms of bad incentives. I yeah, I just, and, and look, I- When you pay people for years not to show up and work at a restaurant, You've crossed well, that, the line already. Well, like I guess part of my point I, here I, I, is I that would, we're not approaching this as the first time we've ever no, given money but to this, prevent a but crisis. This was, but this was an we're coming off of the biggest binge of debt fueled reckless spending this, and 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 supporting. But reckless this was behavior. this was an opportunity. This is a drop be, in the proverbial be, bucket. This was an opportunity because when you're talking about paycheck protection um, and the enhanced unemployment benefits, I mean that was really a lot of everyday Americans getting steamrolled and that and that was righteous and in my view that was righteous but the the problem i mean the thing that burns my ass is the federal government's complete inability to avoid fraud which in those two per, those two programs alone where you know is estimated at around 300 billion dollars which is like half of fucking tarp you know which i mean like the that's, you know, and then if you add in the other stimulus programs, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's even worse, might even approach TARP. But, um, but, but basically, you know, I think it is useful to juxtapose these two because maybe you don't agree with me on, you know, on the responses there with the PPP and enhanced unemployment. But certainly I would say that that is a much more deserving group to have protected against something over which they had no control, you know, COVID, well, then the, the venture-funded ecosystem, which could have absorbed the losses and, you know, maybe like the really stupid companies like, you know, myass.com or whatever would not have gotten, you know, bailed out by their VC funders, but that's not a bad thing for the world, isn't I'm that, sure. Isn't that your biggest private holding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I hate venture. I always get stuck with the, the worst shit. Yeah. Um, no, I actually have very, 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 very little in the way of startups that I've ever done because I know I'm being shown the worst shit. Unlike uh, Freddie. Freddie Freddy thinks he's getting shown good stuff. Freddie's not getting shown good stuff. Freddie's getting shown the same dog shit that we are. Yeah. I feel like we both he, invested, he, he invested in, them, in a terrible startup. Oh, well, the, the public one. Yeah, the public one. Yeah. Well, we, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to plug the last episode of ZFG that I did with uh, Freddie really when we talked about Schneeberger. Yeah. But... All right, look, man. I think I, I think we've said our pieces. Um, it's been a good discussion. It's been good debate. You have lost it, but. Um 
because you're wrong. Right. But, That's interesting. No, I mean, it wasn't. The only person just, who's always right is my wife. So, I mean, I, obviously, <laughs> we'll get a neutral arbiter. We'll ask your Twitter followers. Okay. All right. Um, but anyway, yeah, look, man, appreciate it. I, Thanks, I man. think it was a it was a close call regardless. And it'll be interesting if in a year, two or three, we revisit this conversation. And if things that I fear will come to pass have come to pass. Well, well we know. have an opportunity here because it's Thursday morning. And before we end, one thing that we could do is we could say, what do we think are your predictions for how the next day or week unfold? Because First I don't Republic? do short term, man. You don't do short term? Come on. First Republic is down, what, 30% pre-market today? Okay. So, so what do you think is going to happen? All right. So an interesting... All right. So, so maybe there's a little bit... And we can always bit, cut this out but, if we're both staggeringly wrong. No, no, no. no. I, I'm not going to make a prediction on this, but this is something... Um, so on, I think it was Tuesday, Jeffries had a call and David Zervos was, was speaking and he said something really interesting about um, the regional banks. And... You know, they if the federal government is express in saying that uninsured deposits will be insured wherever they are in the banking system, then that stop that that backstops the the run. But they're still viable businesses. But how valuable can regional banks be? Because as he said, the investment case for them was that they have these really sticky deposits that are low cost because they have so much brand equity with their customers and yeah. their high touch customer service. But going back to the point you made about the social media speed with which everybody can pull their deposits, is there really that much value in that franchise then? You know, are those deposits actually that sticky? So there's probably, at the very least, a real diminution of value in that business model unless, and I wouldn't mind, well, this would probably have a lot of horrific knock-on effects. So, you know, so I'll... I think there's an argument for whether the federal government at some point should consider a way to kind of tilt the playing field actually in favor of the smaller banks away from the CIFIs just to kind of give them a raison d'etre because we do we do want a more diversified banking system. Right. Um, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have that more diversified banking system when there's a tier of strategically important banks, five or six of them, that... In, in which all deposits are guaranteed. And then you have this other sub-regional, this regional banking system in which depositors are at great risk. I think that if you have that dynamic play out, you know, Americans are just going to shift their deposits to the big ones and you're going to kill regional banking. And I, didn't, so, and I don't disagree, right? We, yeah. I don't disagree that it should be expressed. And, but regional banks but are the it was ones that whether, make like construction loans. Whether, They're what, ones, they, they have local right. market expertise. They serve like all sorts of communities that aren't served by like the-, the Exactly. And yeah. and like the large banks, I mean, are, you know, especially because they're they're basically ATMs for the US Treasury too. You know, they right. get hit up with billion dollar fines all the time. These banks are scared of their shadows and are really actually pretty shitty to deal with. Like for example, we had our corporate card from one of the major banks um, and this was back in 2020. We were doing research on some company that had, I think, some BVI entities. And one of my analysts used the corporate card to try to pull some, you know, filings or you know whatever the uh, company's house stuff that very little information is available. But try to pull it from I think BVI or Cayman. And within hours, this bank sent an email that um, we are closing your account. Like there is no appeal. We will, you are liable for all the charges that have taken place. We'll bill you for that. Yeah. And it was, it was crazy. And I called them up. I'm like, look, man, this is the corporate card. You just yanked 
the fucking rug out from underneath you know, a lot of our day-to-day -day transactions, not to mention that, because this was effective immediately. And I said, there's got to be somebody I could talk to. Nope, these decisions are non-appealable. We don't talk to you about it. I mean, it was, and I'm just like, and this is why we decided to stick with regional banks for our corporate banking relationship on the deposit side mm. is because, yeah, the big banks will just fuck you and their compliance processes, I mean, can be Kafka-esque. So there is a strong case you really do want regional, like strong regional banking system. And, and look, we agree that, that the federal government should, you know, actually do more, be express about it in order to stop runs on the regional banks. But, but I do think, you know, just time and again, we're watching, you know, watching everybody get bailed out in contravention of what was previously expressed policy. So again, $250,000 limit. And this was an opportunity to hang, you know, part of the economy that could absorb the losses with a little bit of a loss to send the message that no, there's not always a put on stupidity to the federal government. I think we missed it. I think it will have negative long-term consequences. Um, and you know, whether that's the reckless loans at high rates and bank failures, you know, that I, that I talked about a few, de few years down the road, or it's something that's unforeseeable right now, because again, there's so much leverage. I mean, there's so much complexity and fragility in the system. Who the fuck knows? Um, but I, I do, I do think that this was a missed opportunity to push back in the right direction. I think it pushes it along a little bit further in the wrong direction. You know, we'll see. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, buddy. Cool. Thanks, man.